you turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. We're going to read, eventually we're going to get through two chapters. We're going to finish up the Gideon story this morning. And it really is a great story. Um, but the writer of the Hebrew says, Gideon is not worthy, that the world was not worthy of him and his faith. And he was a pointer of someone who was greater, Jesus. And so let's, let's read chapter 7 together and see what God will teach us. This is the word of our God. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom, you, whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, this one shall go, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With 300 men, the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man, to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Zipporah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay among the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. Then Gideon came. Behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. 
When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp, all the camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, and when they had, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, and they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerurah, as far as the border of Abel, Meholah, by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah, and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah, and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I ask now that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word, that uh, we would see that your steadfast love truly endures forever. So I ask now that you would unite our divided hearts so that we might hear and believe that it is grace that has saved us, it is grace that is saving us, and it is grace that will carry us home. So grip our imaginations with the truths, with the grace and the truths of the gospel as we look at Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This is a, a famous story. Gideon and his 300 men. It's, it's so famous, in fact, that you, you will find it today, actually, is in, uh, in books of military strategy, uh, especially in Israeli misri- uh, military strategy. You're fine. If you want to achieve military victory through small numbers, this is one way you can do it. And in, in the history of the nation of Israel, that actually happened in 1948. Uh, Sixteen Israelis dressed as Arabs infiltrated the town of Lydda, where the airport was, and it was a town that was occupied by 7,000 Arab troops. And at around midnight or so, strategically placed Israelis started shouting and screaming, and the terrified Arabs woke up and immediately started shooting, thinking they were under attack. And the men fled the battle, abandoned the town, uh, believing themselves to be defeated. Great military success through small numbers. It's an amazing story. But, uh, since I assume, I I think rightfully, that no one is a current or former member of the Israeli military, we've got to ask, why is this recorded for us as God's people today who are following Jesus? What's the point of the 300 water-lapping soldiers going to war against... uh, a locust plague of enemy soldiers 
And so as we look at this, we're going to see three things this morning. Uh, We're going to be warned against boasting. Uh, We're going to see the danger of success. And then lastly, we're going to see a boast that heals us. And so it is not about military victory. It's about what God does for his people. So let's look at the warning against boasting. If you are following this story, right, if, especially if you're new, um, Gideon, we started with Gideon, the scared, uh, the scared warrior, threshing wheat in a wine press, where God came and found him and said, don't be afraid, O mighty one, O mighty warrior. I'm going to use you to rescue Israel from Midianite oppression. The Midianites were coming from across the Jordan River from the east with their multitude of camels, eating all the good food, leaving Israel poor and hungry. And it was the result of their own sin that had gotten them into this mess. And so when you see Gideon now, you know, the the terrified farmer to this courageous warrior, um, it's amazing how God has led him. And in in the point in the story where the time has come for God to fulfill his promise that he spoke to Gideon, uh, to fully and finally rescue Israel from Midian. And so you got picture Israel up top, you've got the valley down below, and I mean, it's pretty graphic imagery of these, the, the sheer number of camels and soldiers and enemies. And as they're getting ready to, to go to war, Gideon has rallied around 32,000 men. And God says to Gideon in verse 2, and this is going to be the controlling theme throughout the, the rest of the text, the people with you are too many. And lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me, we need to shrink the bunch. There's too many of you. So, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen somebody boast over another person? Have you ever done that? We know what this looks like. It's where you're in a position of power, where you puff out your chest and you declare to them that you are greater because of whatever thing that you have done. It happens a lot in sports. Men are really good at telling stories of their exploits back in high school. And suddenly, out of nowhere, someone emerges as, you know, the numbers keep getting higher in how many touchdowns you scored in your career. Holding it over you. And God says that in this passage, Israel's problem is they win the battle. They're going to lord that victory over the Lord of heaven and earth. They're going to boast over God. They're going to put themselves above God, beat their chest proudly, and look down on their creator. And, there's, and internally, there's going to be this self-satisfaction and sneer. I didn't need you. I did this on my own. It was my might, my strength, my power, my wisdom. That's, what, that's why there are 300 men going to battle so that Israel would not move from this place of terrified weakness to putting themselves above God, which is what sin does. And this is a really shocking yet helpful picture of what people are like, of what I'm like, of what human beings are like, of how quickly we can move from being a place of weakness of being afraid, of being victims, to have a small victory and then immediately move to a place of cockiness, self-confidence, and arrogance, and then lord that victory over someone else. 
the Israel's problem of boasting that this battle is going to push against, it's a human problem. It's not just an Israelite problem. And I think this is the lens you're supposed to read the rest of the story, that every human being, no matter who you are, um, wants to be in that place where we can boast. I want it. You know, every person demands, craves, applause, acclaim, and glory. We want to be praised. It's like food. We can't get out of bed without it. We want our daily praise. But the sinful side is we want our daily praise so that we can exalt ourselves above others. To make ourselves feel better. That's what boasting is all about. And so this story is going to show us that if, if human beings like Israel are given the smallest opportunity to boast in something that we have done, we're going to take it and run with it and never let it go. Right? To boast over the Lord. That's what boasting is. It's over and against. It's an offense against the God who is. When we say to God who made us, we don't need you, we got this by our own strength, it's putting ourselves above the God who is. So just think for a moment with me how simple and yet profound this is. Um, you're back in middle school. Sorry if you have uncomfortable flashbacks. You're wearing your cousin's hand-me-downs, getting picked on, or you just feel inferior because your clothes are not what is cool. Um, and acceptable. And after much nagging and begging and pleading, you finally convince your parents to buy that awesome pair of Jordans that your heart has been craving and longing for. And the moment you put those shoes on, you're like a completely new person and you go to school and you just sneer at all those loser kids who don't have the Jordans <laughs> like you do, that you never paid for, you never worked for a moment in your life. See, that's that's what God is going to war against, that attitude um, in Israel. Because God knows us. <laughs> he knows human nature. Israel's either going to boast and praise God for his work, his power, his might, and his wisdom, or they're going to take the credit for themselves. It's either or. Gideon is either going to praise God and thank him for defeating Midian, or he's going to take it for himself. And so that doesn't happen God is going to whittle down the army from 32,000 to 300. That the greatest danger, this is the lesson I hope you get, and that I get, the greatest danger to myself is, is this thing we call boasting. Believing deep down I can do this on my own. Because um, what happens, if you can think about how this works, Boasting immediately leads to ingratitude, to thankless, thanklessness. And when you're, when you're not thankful, that feeds your fears. Because you're assuming in the future God will not rescue you. And you have to do this on your own. And so think of the great irony. Christians, uh, believers in the God who is, who has repeatedly shown wonderful deeds. We're to be the most grateful people in all the world. And yet we can also be the most thankless people <laughs> in the midst of our fears. And so that's what's going to happen here. You look at verse 3. God whittles down the army. Whoever is afraid, whoever is worried that God will not carry them through the battle, um, go home. And 22,000 say, okay, I'm out. Peace. I assume their fear is like, would be like my fear and your fear. 
I don't know if God's going to show up this time. So I'm going home. I'm taking the safe way out. Because what fear does is leave us stuck in the present, assuming that in the future we will have no reason to praise and boast God for what he's done. We get stuck. So, what are you afraid God will not do for you in the future? Come back to our story. God goes to battle. There's still too many. 10,000 is too many to go against this Midianite horde. And so then he says, go down to the water, and whoever laps the water with their hands shall stay. And there's only 300 water-lapping soldiers. Everyone else who knelt down has to go home. And <laughs> it's really funny to read the commentaries, and everybody wants to know what is so special about people who lap water with their hands. Maybe we should change the way we do communion, right? We should just pour it in your hands. <laughs> yeah. Is God saying that the 300 have greater military prowess? Right? Is this like Nate, Hebrew SEAL Team 300? Because they're alert while they drink. Or maybe they're just trusting in God. They've laid down their swords. They're just lapping out of their hands. And so God calls and raises up the faithful to go. Or maybe, I mean, if I had my preference, this, is, this would fit with the story. Maybe they're just the wimpiest bunch. <laughs> most afraid. So that God gets the most glory and recognition. I don't think it matters, <laughs> personally. God says the whole point of the 300 is so that you don't boast. That's verse 2. And that, th that by faith, Gideon's going to go, and, and by faith, Gideon is going to trust that God is going to fight for them, and he's going to use these 300. God alone's going to win the battle. That's the whole point, so that everyone would boast that the Lord is on their side. And so the 300 go. <laughs> the whole point is that Gideon and Israel would just trust the plan and obey and then praise and boast in what God has done. The idea is at the end of the battle, Israel should, especially those who went home, I mean, just imagine being those guys and the rest of the tribes just looking back and say, God saved me without me doing anything other than contributing my sin to the problem. I just stood back and watched. And that's what happens. That's the whole point of the 300, so that you and I would not puff up our chests, that Gideon and his friends, his, his army would not puff out their chests, but that they would know that there is a God in Israel who is also the Lord of heaven and earth, and that he rules and reigns and fights for them. <laughs> so, would you go if you were one of the 300? You come to Gideon, we're moving further in our story. This is an insane battle strategy. I mean, it's, it's just as crazy as, as Barak going to war with a bunch of soldiers who don't have swords to fight chariots. And so God comes along to Gideon. He knows Gideon is human. God is so gracious to condescend to come down alongside you and I in our fears. And he says, all right, I want you to go, but I know you're going to be afraid, so I'm going to give you a confidence to go. Go down into the camp and see what you find. I, when you hear this dream, it's going to send you. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to leave the camp confident that God will fight the battle and lead you to victory. And when Gideon gets down there, it's, pretty, it's amazing. God's plan to rescue Israel is to turn the fears of their enemies against themselves. Because 
Gideon overhears these two Midianite soldiers talking. One had a dream where this massive barley loaf came rolling down the hills and squashed their tent, knocked it flat. And the idea is barley is the cheap gross bread that nobody wants to eat. That's what Israel's been living off of in their misery. The Midianites have been stealing the good stuff, the wheat. And so the Midianite soldier says that barley loaf, that, that nobody, that nothing, that nobody wants, is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. I mean, how paranoid are, is this army if they're convinced that, the gods are, that God is against them? That strengthens Gideon. He gets up. He hears the gospel coming from his enemies. <laughs> The gospel of grace comes from his enemies and he arises and lives by faith and goes forward in the plan. Which is good. We're just going to come, this is going to be a repeated commentary. Look at the, the condescension of God. He doesn't mock Gideon and his fears. You know, fear can be a faithless thing, but it can also just be a human reality that we live in a dangerous world where, well, we sang it. The Lord has promised we will go through tribulation. And what we want, we want this picture of faith where you rise confident, chest out, sword raised, uh, running, screaming, confident that God is behind you. He's going to fight the battles. We want faith to look like fearlessness, but faith often looks like going despite your fears. God doesn't mock Gideon. He doesn't ridicule our fears. He's not cruel when we have weak knees. He says, don't be afraid. I am with you. That was the whole point of the dream. That Gideon would be confident that God is with him. Sometimes he uses odd means in the Old Testament. Uh, unbelievers. But either way, you have a picture of the God who is so concerned about your fears he wants to comfort you in those fears. We see that picture with Gideon. Now, how does God get all the glory in the battle? And this is a, a beautiful story. You can picture the valley. It's the, the, the sand of the seashores. I mean, just the multitude of camels, which are like ancient tanks. And to the, <laughs> you have 300 men, and each man has a torch, a pot, and a trumpet. And when they break the pots and blow the trumpets and, and light the torches to the Midianite soldiers, it looks like each individual soldier is the head of a legion. So in their imagination, in the dark, in the confusion, as the watch is changing, it looks like they're under attack by 30,000 men. I mean, they go from paranoid silence to 300 pots shattering trumpets blaring, fire being brandished. And the timing is absolutely brilliant because it's the end of the watch. Men with swords are coming back to go to bed as other men are waking up to go out. So you have soldiers milling around who are armed. And so it looks like they're under attack. And so they, they wake up and they just start slaughtering themselves. And in verse 22, this is the key. It says, The Lord... Set every man against his comrade, against all the army, while all of Gideon's army just stood back and watched. They participated. They were just instruments in God's hand. All they had to do was watch. God work. Right? 
And there's more clues to help you see clearly, because Gideon, I think, chooses these instruments wisely. Uh, he knows the Bible stories that came before. He wants us and Israel to know God alone is fighting for them. You know, the last time trumpets blew and God alone got the victory was at the, the Battle of Jericho, when the walls came tumbling down, something Israel could not do on their own. Uh, pots and torches, fire in the darkness. You're supposed to remember Abraham. When God cut a covenant with Abraham, it's the same tools, a sign of God's presence with them, a pot and a torch in the darkness. And in that promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, God said, I will be your shield. And he cut a covenant in which he promised, I'm going to do your part and I'm going to do my part. I'm going to defend you no matter what it takes, even to, to my death. And when Abraham, when he saw the, the covenant being cut, Abraham wasn't walking through the pieces that were cut. Abraham was asleep. He too just watched God promise, I will do this. And so these, these images that Gideon and his men had were clear pictures that we cannot do this. God alone has to fight the battle. And God alone did fight the battle. God alone gets the glory. So why would you boast in anyone but him? Israel has no room to boast. They're in their tents. They're at home. Gideon and his army have no room to boast. They just stood there and watched. There is no room for human boasting in a relationship with the real God, the living God. Jeremiah 9 says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands the Lord, that I am the Lord who practices covenant love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. So Gideon is learning this lesson that Jeremiah has to remind God's people of again and again. That God alone saves. We are treated well, but we're not to boast. So Gideon, Gideon and his 300 men, you know what they are? They're just witnesses to what God has done. They show up, and they go out, and they tell Ephraim and the other tribes, God has given us the victory, let's go. Rise and follow us. And that's what happens. Ephraim comes out from the, the woodwork, so to speak, and they go to war and they kidnap Oreb and Zeb and they poetically put them to death on a rock and at a wine press, which is where Gideon was at the beginning of the story. You know, they, they take the good news of what God has done and it spreads among Israel and they just, the route is on. And so here's what I want you to see. So the point of chapter 7 is God is a God of grace. And that the only rational response to a God who would fight like this for you and I, for Gideon and Israel, who do not deserve it, is just this immense thankfulness and gratitude. The only rational response to God's grace worked out through Gideon for them would be thankfulness. The same for us. Boasting in the Lord is just an expression of thank you. It's it's really simple. I mean, just picture the dinner table with small children. They boast in their parents when they say, this food is great, thank you, mommy. Even though a lot of times it's, ugh, I don't want to eat my vegetables. (laughs) 
See, grace is trying to chase out our complaining and change our complaining into thankfulness. Now, it would be wonderful the story ended here and everybody followed and there was great victory and Israel got the message, but we are in the book of Judges. And we're going to see as we get to chapter 8 that God's victory did not stick. Uh, the command to boast in God alone bounced off their stony hearts. And so this is where we see the success and fall of Gideon. He's going to help us get to Jesus. And so let's look at chapter 8. And I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it for a couple minutes, and then we'll be done. It says, Then the men of Ephraim said, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to Jordan and crossed over, he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, Are the cans of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna in my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come in again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of all the army and the people of the east, for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nobah and Jagbeha and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zeba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and he threw all the army into a panic. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Harry's, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and the elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took the thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? And they answered, as, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments 
threw on the necks of their camels. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, for they were, had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest forty years in the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. <laughs> he said, it would have been nice if we had ended in chapter 7. There's, there's a few thoughts as we get our, make our way to Jesus here. The immediate response to God's victory is pride. We look at chapter 8 in the beginning. Ephraim comes to Gideon and, and lashes out in anger and says, How dare you not include us? How dare you rob us of the opportunity to get some glory <laughs> by being a part of the plan? Right? I mean, this is the, the sad irony is that, that God's great salvation through Gideon was not enough to change the hearts of God's people. Right? But this is the big idea. The whole point of Gideon's in the 300 was to highlight the unconditional nature of God's grace and here's what you see is the natural human response to God's sheer, radical, unconditional grace. It's anger. Right? We at Hope Church are a Presbyterian church. We love Reformed theology. That's why we're preaching in the Old Testament saying it connects to Jesus. But one of the things we do as Reformed theologians is we focus immensely on God's role in our salvation. We're unashamed of it. We say, soli Deo Gloria, God alone gets the praise. It's applying this boasting principle that we've been talking about. And the gospel according to the scriptures says, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. I'm not, I am unable to not boast in myself because I am that selfish. <laughs> I'm a sinner. Reformed theologians call it total depravity. That my will my mind, my thoughts, my deeds, my decision-making, my body, every part of me has been tainted and corrupted by my desire to boast in me, by selfishness. 
And so if there is a microscopic opportunity to boast in me, I can't not take it. That's what total depravity is teaching. And Ephraim is modeling that I am ruled by sin rather than ruling over it, and that the only option for us to be saved from this desire to boast in ourselves is grace. To be saved from the power of self, suffering, and the powers of evil, you need 100% rescue from the outside. Grace which so kindly robs us of any reason to boast. Because boasting is the sickness that is ruining the world. Our world. (laughs) I mean, look at how sick Ephraim is. The only way Gideon can calm them down is to appeal to their pride. (laughs) This is an immense act of humility on Gideon's part. What are you complaining about? You're greater than me. You've got more glory than me. You're better farmers than me. You're wealthier than me. You're winners. I'm a loser. What more do you want? And that was enough to calm their anger. (laughs) I mean, that was the idea. I mean, how broken am I? Then the only way to calm my anger and fears and frustration is to boast in me, is to have someone else pump up my ego when my ego got me into most of my problems in the first place. And so the promise that we need to take from chapter 8 is we need a better salvation, we need a better picture of grace than we get in Gideon. Something that sets us free from our boasting in ourselves. And we see that we need something better because Gideon himself falls victim. He's not the perfect deliverer. That's the journey through chapter 8. I mean, he starts out well. Um, He uses his own weakness to say, it's okay that you're greater than me to Ephraim. He comes to these towns of Succoth and Penuel uh, who don't want to participate in the battle. I don't... You know, it seems like justice when he's dealing with the town of Succoth, but when he starts killing men for not helping, it's, it's hard to tell the difference between vengeance and justice. Right? I mean, it is a capital crime that they refuse to, to... Let's just put it this way. The Bible takes hospitality really serious. Jesus takes hospitality this seriously. But when you read how Gideon responds, it's hard to tell one way, is this good, is this bad? It's a little vague. And you follow the story further down. Uh, the killing of the Midianite kings. Is Gideon getting vengeance because his family was killed, or is he doing justice? Seems to be a bit of both. Uh, Gideon is incredibly humble. They want to make him king. Right? Rule over us. We love you. You've saved us. You know, they've completely missed the point when they want to make Gideon king rather than God. <laughs> Gideon, in an act of humility, says, I'm not going to rule over you. We're not setting up a dynasty here. God is king. And then he does a, a good thing. He builds, he has an ephod make. This is what Moses does with uh, the spoils from Egypt. The ephod was the clothes that the high priest would wear into the Holy of Holies. And it was made out of gold. So it's not a bad thing to make the ephod, but the ephod became a snare to Gideon and to his family and to all of Israel. It became a a symbol, a superstition that Gideon is awesome. Let's praise Gideon for what he did. And so we're left with this picture is that the moment we get 
a little bit of success, we boast, and even the best of us, like Gideon, fall. Which makes you long for a better salvation, a better deliverer. We need a boast that heals us. We need a boast that heals our ego. Uh, We need a boast that will heal us from our neurotic need to praise ourselves and put other people down. We need a salvation that doesn't just save us from foreign armies, but our spiritual dysfunction. We need a gospel that goes as deep as our fears and a salvation that will also honor and praise us even though we don't deserve it. We need what Jesus did for us on the cross. Right. We just Look, there's several pictures here. But just picture Israel staying at home in their tents. And they said, God saved me and I contributed nothing to that salvation. I stayed at home. How much more can we say that when we look at Jesus dying on the cross? God saved me before I was even born. God's love that we've been singing of today happened before the ages began. See, Gideon points to the need for a deliverer, a judge, a human being who has the ability not to boast in himself, but to boast only in what God has done, and then go to war to rescue God's people and never fail or fall, which is what Jesus does. I don't do anything apart from my Father. I only do what my Father in heaven tells me to. I only say what my Father in heaven tells me to say. I came to do God's will alone, and at the end of his life, he turns to his Father and says, Father, I did everything you ever asked me to do. And when people start praising him, he, he puts the attention on God the Father. And it's when you get to the cross, that's where God kills human boasting, and that's where we have to camp out. All right. See, the cross shows us the danger of boasting. It's against the Lord. When sinful human beings lifted themselves up and put God to death on a cross. And yet, the resurrection shows us the beauty of grace, that the weakness of God is stronger than our strength. All this happens so that we would be blown away by God's sheer grace, that Jesus would let this happen because he loves us, so that we could boast in him and him alone. So that you and I could say, God saved me, and the only thing I contributed to the process was my sin and selfishness. Even faith is a gift. Simply to the cross I cling, nothing but my sin I bring. Is that your story? See, biblical faith comes to God with empty hands and simply accepts Christ and all of his benefits. There's no room for boasting. It's not pleasant at times. It's not a fun process, but it's the path of repentance. Nobody likes being weak. Nobody brags about being cut from the sports team, about being sick, about being addicted to pills to get through the day, or or looking at things you shouldn't at night. No one's proud of not knowing how to handle conflict. No one's proud of not being able to function. And yet we're called to make this our prayer. Far be it from me to boast in anything but the cross of Christ. And when you do that, that's going to start to kill your ego. It'll kill your pride. 
And it actually lifts up your head because you have a picture of a God who saves you and will not leave you alone. He will, he will not leave you alone until the job is done. So, lift up your heads. If God alone saved you by grace alone, through Jesus alone, surely he, he will save you by grace alone and continue to save you by grace alone. He's leading you through your current troubles by grace alone, and that will not change so that your boast can always and ever be, God loved me first, and he, he is carrying me. So, go and learn what it means. By grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, but the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We have someone better than Gideon. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Now, Father, there is a lot here. Um, we see the ugliness of our own hearts, but we see the uh, relentlessness of your sheer grace. And so I pray for... Uh, us as a church, you would make us a place where we do boast in what you have done for us. Uh, that this would be a place where our ego is put to death, where we don't get angry when other people get the credit, that we would be a praising people. But I also pray that this would be a place where uh, we come alongside the fearful, the weak, and we're unashamed to, uh, to let them be that way, to carry them through and point them to the only one who can carry us through trials and tribulations. So we say now, um, like we sang this morning, Begone unbelief, for our Savior is near. Would you do that for us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.